Hello, my name is J.D. Younger, and I get the privilege of serving as the Chief of Police for the City of Edmond. In today's Defining Moments podcast, you'll learn how I took my journey from an officer in Norman to the Chief of Police in Edmond and all the steps in between. Thank you for tuning in to Defining Moments podcast. This episode is brought to you by CMM Financial Services. At CMM, we know how hard it is to find someone who knows and cares enough to create the tax and wealth plan that you deserve. After walking alongside hundreds of clients for the past 20 years with accounting, bookkeeping, tax strategy, and financial planning, we have created a proven system to help you reach your financial goals. CMM has your complete financial team to reach your financial goals. Book a call at cmmfinancialservices.com. Welcome back to the Undefeated Show, Defining Moments podcast. We're located in the Better Business Bureau in Kyle Golding's beautiful podcast studio, the best one on either side of the Mason-Dixon. Today's awesome guest is the undefeated chief or chief of police for the city of Edmond, Chief Younger. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Before we start, our love language is gift giving. Nice. Very nice. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I was uh, informed that I needed to, to also bring a gift, so I do have a department <laughs> challenge coin for you. That is I'll, awesome. I'll get it to you when we're done doing, yeah? doing the podcast. So who informed you of that? Uh, I have a friend named Todd Gibson. Okay. And I think you've met him. I have met and, him. And so uh, I knew that that, uh, that would be uh, well-received, so I'm following suit. <laughs> That's awesome. So we had Chief Gibson on a few weeks ago, and he says he has the best job in Oklahoma. What are your thoughts? Uh, that I'm glad he feels that way. Uh, I, I would hope that anyone that has a job would think that they have the best job, or at least they're trying to make it that way. Yeah. Uh, but no, he, he does have a very attractive job in a, in a city that is highly supportive mm-hmm. of, of, of our career field. Sure. And so that's really all you, you can ask for is a, a community that, that appreciates the service that's being delivered and and we'll work with you to improve the service. Yeah. Um, and so I think his his city more mm-hmm. uh, has shown for for many years now that they are highly supportive of their public servants and and willing to work for them to make sure the citizens are getting the service they expect. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, the city of Edmond is actually really supportive as well. Wouldn't you agree? One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, our, our community is. Uh, I tell people all the time we're not special and that we're different than anybody else, uh, but we are a little bit different. In that our community is is really engaged uh, on multiple fronts, mm-hmm. uh, as you would hope a community would be. But one of the areas in particular, and it and it benefits me personally and professionally, uh, is that they're public servants, so both police and fire, um, and emergency communications mm-hmm. uh, as well, uh, receive a lot of support. Uh, and that's not just financial support; uh, that's they're very engaged. Uh, with all their public service departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the police department definitely benefits uh, from that relationship, that partnership that we have with the uh, citizens that we serve. Yeah. How did you get into law enforcement? Let's talk about your your life and how you got involved. Yeah, that, I think my journey is probably a little different uh, than, than, than most. Uh, it's been my experience in the 30 years that I've been involved in law enforcement is a lot of people that find themselves in this career, like they knew it's something they wanted to do from an early age. Uh, that's just not my story. Um, and so, you know, we never, I never had law enforcement in my family, so it's not that, nothing I expire, aspired to uh, because I had a role model in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my family is largely vocational. 
in what they do. My dad's an electrician. My mother is a cosmetologist or beautician. Uh, their parents were welders and mechanics. You know, nobody in my family history, we didn't go to college. Uh, we were fortunate if we got out of high school and then we went into vocational work. And so I had the opportunity uh, uh, growing up. Uh, my parents, you know, really took good care of me and, and my brother. Um, and so we were afforded the opportunity to focus on educational achievement. So when I graduated high school, uh, you know, and, and went to college, really first generation of my paternal line that had gone. And so didn't really know what I was going to do. I was thinking more along the lines of business, mm -hmm. um, but uh, as as eighteen year olds are prone to do, I didn't make the best decisions <laughs> <laughs> academically, and so I kind of struggled in the wilderness uh, th through college. Uh, but eventually, found my way to Rose State University uh, or Rose State Junior College, mm -hmm. uh, and they had a criminal justice program. And so, one the classes they intrigued me, uh, and so I took the first one or two, and and I thought they were not overly burdensome as mm -hmm. far as the workload. Uh, but, but I think that's where the fire was lit, uh, is that I had an interest in that. And so I tell people, uh, when I graduated my associates from Rose State, I transferred down to the University of Oklahoma. And so when I went and saw the counselor there, they said, okay, you have this associates in criminal justice. We have a law enforcement administration program. And if you choose to transfer into that program, you'll get, you'll get full credit uh, for all that you've done in your associates work, and you can move right into uh, uh, you know, your undergraduate work and, and two years from now, you could be out of here. Uh, they said, or you could choose a different path, uh, but you're probably going to lose like 24 hours of your associate work and you're going to have to repeat that here. And I wow. said, law enforcement administration sounds like the, <laughs> the course for me. So, uh, so again, that just, I was already intrigued in the career field. And so that kind of, that helped me mm -hmm. make that decision. And then at the same time, I, I was working uh, for Gregory Sporting Goods <laughs> in Dell City which is now and more yeah. uh, with our friend Todd. Uh, but I worked with several people that were pursuing careers in law enforcement. And, and as it would have it now, so here we are 30 years later, one of the fellows I worked, for, worked with is the deputy chief of police in Midwest City. Uh, one of them is a night shift lieutenant in Yukon. Uh, and one of them recently retired from the Federal Transfer Center. And so for, wow. for the four of us that we worked together, we were pursuing uh, these similar interests. And so uh, I just think God was working on me kind of behind the scenes and lead me a path that I really didn't know that's where I wanted to go. But yeah. I, looking back 30 years now, I, I think I, I can't think of a better place for, for me to be, of for me to be drawn and then to serve. So, yeah, you, I feel good energy. You, you have a good sense of like happiness with you. What drives you? What, what makes you happy? What brings you joy? I hope all people have an experience similar to mine. Uh, just as you become more experienced <laughs> and you grow older and, and, and you get the blessings that, that God gives you through life, and, and not that every day is the best, uh, but, but on balance, way more good days than bad days. Um, and I think 30 years in the profession that I've been in, um, you get, I don't know if opportunity is the right word, uh, but you get exposed to all the things, the negative things that humans can do to each other. Hmm. But on the flip side of that coin, you also get exposed to all the good in, in that humans can do for each other. Yeah. And it's just been my experience, uh, either gifted through God or, or what I choose to do, is to focus on all that good. And so I continuously get to see the good things that people are doing mm -hmm. uh, for their fellow humans. Yeah. Um, and when you see that and you, and you 
concentrate on that, uh, I, I think it helps you. It helps me. I'll mm-hmm. just speak for me. It really helps me to to kind of have that positive attitude and see all that's possible, yeah. uh, even in even in days when it's not going your way yeah. or you're having to experience tragedy. Uh, you just know that there's so much potential within individuals, and and to get to see that come out, I, I count it as a blessing. Yeah, you talked about your dad being a welder and your mom being a cosmetologist. What's a character trait from each parent that you really resonate with? I would say, you know, from their vocational work, it's 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 definitely a work ethic. And neither of my parents, I I tell people if that it seems like my job is I get paid by the word because I talk a lot. <laughs> um, and my parents don't. That uh, they're, I mean, they communicate with me for sure, but they just were never really big talkers growing up. Uh, they let their actions and lives speak for themselves. And so what I'll talk about is work ethic. And that's not because my dad told me every day, you need to get up and do something. It's because every day my dad gets up and does something. Uh, now, even into his 70s, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to talk about it. It's, it's just his life. Uh, whether it's something that needs to be done at home, if it's mowing the yard, if it's cleaning the house, if it's, uh, but but when he was employed full time, he worked 35 years for General Motors, um, and I just recall he got up every day and went to work. Um, many of those days were on afternoons or night shifts because they worked shift work then, uh, and then I got into a profession that worked shift work, and but he never complained about it. He was grateful to work where he worked. Uh, uh, when he would talk, he would tell me about how grateful he was that he wow. had this opportunity to work for a good employer uh, that he knew was going to be there uh, each and every day. Uh, you know, my mom was a cosmetologist, worked outside the home for a period of time, uh, and then we had a shop in our house for a period of time and just went to work. And it was never a burden. It was always a blessing. And those weren't their words. Those were their actions. Mm. And so I would say the you know, one of the strongest things that they instilled in me was just just have gratitude for the opportunities you've been given. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so hopefully I can carry a little bit of that forward. Yeah. What was your first job in law enforcement that led you up to chief of police? Yeah. Well, my very first job in law enforcement was at the Norman Police Department. Um, you know, in the early 90s under President Bill Clinton, uh, the federal government invested a sizable portion of funds into increasing uh, the number of police officers by a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. um, and so these community-oriented policing grants uh, is what the federal government did for local communities to be able to add police officers to their force. And so, in 1994, shortly after I graduated from the University of Oklahoma, uh, the city of Norman had acquired a grant to add eight officers under this community-oriented policing services grant, and I was one of the eight that was selected uh, for that opportunity. And so starting in 1994, I went through the Norman Police Academy and then spent 24 years uh, serving in that community. Mm. Wow. So you went from there. Then what was the next step from uh, law enforcement police officer? Yeah. Well, well, at Norman, I was afforded many opportunities. So, you know, I'm assuming all police departments that have a uniformed service, uh, a person that starts as an officer, they come in and, and start answering calls for service. That's, that's where you get your start. Uh, but then within that department, there's usually great diversity as far as opportunities to serve either in investigations mm-hmm. or administrative assignments like training. And so I was afforded the opportunity to get many of those experiences within the Norman Police Department. Mm-hmm. And so that's where my first formal leadership opportunities began, uh, you know, over 
with selection as a detective and then promotion to sergeant and then lieutenant, captain and major and so on. Yeah. Um, and so all of my, you know, like formal leadership opportunities in the profession were, were really there uh, until 2017 uh, when I had the opportunity to go to work for the city of Edmond as their police chief. Um, and so actually today, May 1st, is my six-year anniversary wow. uh, in Edmond. And, uh, and it, it's really been a great experience for, for myself and for my family. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. That's really good. I have a lot of friends that live in Edmond, my in-laws included, and they feel super confident and safe with the protection they have from law enforcement. Well, I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, one of the metrics we talk about is in success uh, is that relationship with those that you serve. And so you can have all the data points you want. And I'm, I'm a numbers person, so I love data. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really about do the citizens feel safe in their mm -hmm. community and do they trust uh, their public servants mm -hmm. uh, to deliver the service that they're asking them to deliver. Yeah. And so when you hear testimonies like that, it, it really is uh, it, reassuring. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any close calls? You're going to talk about life or death situations as a police officer? You know, I don't in individually, but I will tell you after after 29 and in, into my 30th year in the profession, uh, you also forget mm -hmm. a lot about, or maybe forget's not the right word, you probably compartmentalize, mm -hmm. uh, but you just put it aside, the experiences you've had. And so it, it's not uncommon when I'm talking, I'm talking to a friend or a colleague that I've known for years and years to for them to bring up an instance and go, hey, remember this time? <laughs> and I'll be like, well, no, I didn't. But now, now that you bring that up, yes, I do remember that time. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, in my career, I've, I, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to serve on the SWAT team for several years. Wow. Um, and I was in narcotics as a, as a unit commander for several years. So in that capacity, you, you serve a lot of search warrants. Uh, you do a lot of operational type of activities. And so, uh, you know, I've had front row seats uh, to many critical incidents. Mm. Uh, but fortunately for me, I've, I've never been placed in, in that situation. Yeah. Uh, I had to make a decision like that. So. Yeah. You were talking about the SWAT team. Is it like what Hollywood produces out? Like <laughs> all these units get pulled out. You got snipers on the rooftop in the tree line, and you got someone banging on that door with a big old, um, what you call it? There's that a ram. Ram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, those elements definitely exist. <laughs> uh, but, but like most police work, uh, you know, you've heard the adage it's, uh, you know, it's 99% boredom and 1% and sheer terror. Right. Uh, I don't know if those percentages are right, uh, but often the preparation. Sure. Uh, for incidents like that, uh, it takes up much more time than the incident itself. Uh, but we, I've definitely stood in the, the, they call it the stack. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in the line where, where you're having to uh, have a ram ready to go through a door. And, um, and again, but, but fortunately, all of those things uh, ended with peaceful resolutions, the ones that I was involved in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, I enjoyed my time doing that. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you mentally prepare for each day? Well, again, I think it's a you, you have to have a base understanding of what you're doing. You know, I, I tell people law enforcement it it has a lot of fun things. It's a fun job, in my opinion. It, if it if it weren't fun, I don't know why a person would continue to do it mm. uh, because you do get exposed to just some terrible things. Uh, you get to see the absolute worst things one human can do to another, and so I think to to be able to process that and handle that as a human. Uh, it really has to be a calling. Uh, you have to understand why you're sacrificing that, that mental capacity uh, that you are sacrificing in, in your own brain 
to help others, you, you have to understand what you're getting into it for and ultimately what you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's not some degree of personal satisfaction in helping others, um, this would be a very challenging career, both day-to-day and long-term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, long ago, uh, you know, I just came to that realization of what, what I was doing and why I was doing it, um, and I'm very, very comfortable with that. Uh, and again, God has gifted me with the ability um, to process the things that I've seen, which is, is a, it's a difficult career. And I think only now are we really starting to acknowledge that across the profession. Uh, there's, been, there's been a great deal of improvement uh, in, in mental health services and preparation uh, for first responders, police, fire, uh, emergency services alike over the last 30 years. And so that's, that's one of the things I'm really proud of as a, as a member of the profession of just the strides we're making on that front. Mm-hmm. You talked about in 1994, President Bill Clinton passed uh, the bill to fund law enforcement, and you shift from 1994 to 2023 where, and I don't know if it's social media or the news, but I feel like it's more negative, and you hear the term defund the police a little more often than you probably want to hear, or at least for me. How do you deal with that type of negativity, and how do you have your um, – city rally around law enforcement? Well, the first thing I, was, I would say is on that topic, uh, is, as humans in general, I, I think we need to be real careful with allowing any particular narrative to, to capture our minds uh, or even our hearts, uh, that we want to become defensive. Um, and so, so I think that's the first thing. Is, and I say that to myself. Don't, don't let people capture uh, your emotions uh, with, with language. Uh, but as a I would think as a policy leader in my city, I think it's incumbent upon me when people say things like that is to ask more questions. Mm. Uh, I, I think in today's conversation, it's too easy for people to use a term and for me to believe it means one thing uh, when it may mean something else. Uh, I even find myself using popular phraseology sure. and I'm like, I really don't know exactly what that means. <laughs> uh, I, and, and so I, I need to be careful. Um, and so when people say, what do, what do you think about defund the police? I say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, because in my reading of it, that, that sentence, any sentence that has that phrase in it or that term is usually followed by a sentence that says, so we can mm-hmm. fund more educational opportunities or so we can fund more mental health opportunities. And, and so my understanding of its use is really they want to take that money and use it for some other public benefit. And I'm like, okay, I may agree with increasing resources in these other identified areas. So now it's not a debate over whether we should have more of these other areas. I can now have the conversation of, of you know, it's not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think so much in life, people want to make everything about zero-sum. You're a winner. I'm a loser. I can have more. You can have less. And in some situations, that may be true. Uh, but in many situations, that's not that's an overly simplistic way uh, to look at an issue. And so, again, I just I try to, I want I want more out of them. Mm-hmm. Give me some conversation. Give me the background on it, uh, because that summary, that short little term uh, can get us going in different directions. And so the more we can discuss and kind of get to root cause, maybe we can come up with some some areas that we can collaborate on yeah. uh, and that we can focus on together. Yeah. You brought up mental illness. And mental health, actually. So what does the city of Edmond do to help your department with mental health and mental stability for the law enforcement side? 
Yeah, I think right off the bat is is in your training academy. And not every police department has their own training academy. Uh, but since 2009, Edmund's been very fortunate to be able to conduct our own. And so that gives you a little latitude in your onboarding processes when you're establishing culture for an organization of what do you build in, uh, what becomes an expectation. And, and I believe that during that initial training process, which is five months in an academy, 20 weeks, uh, and then another 14 weeks in field training, I believe that's the perfect opportunity for us to highlight to those onboarding members, one, the importance of it, uh, because a lot of people just don't think about their own mental health. Um, you know, we'll tell you all day long, you should do push-ups and set-ups so you're physically strong, or, or you should run so you have cardiovascular capacity. And, and I think generally society would say, yeah, those are all true. Uh, but people don't tell you, hey, there's a mental capacity uh, that you need to be just as efficient at. Uh, and let's talk about the tools that we use to, to make sure that your mind's working right. Let's talk about the tools to make sure that your soul is working right. Because, mm. again, you're fixing to be exposed to things that will hurt you to your soul if you don't understand it. The first time you see an abused child, mm. uh, when you see an abused spouse, uh, when you see a, a, a victim of sexual assault, how does your soul handle that? Your mind can may be able to process why it happened, but how does your soul handle that? And so back to your, to your question, is in the academy, uh, we try to address that. Um, and, and make sure they're thinking through those things they need to think through. Uh, but as far as tangible services we provide, similar to most work, large workplaces, you know, now the city of Edmond offers an employee assistance program and access to other resources through insurance. But what we have found in the police department specifically um, is that we need uh, to provide a trusted resource. Uh, you know, in, in the policing profession, unfortunately, uh, as as officers experience more of these incidents that we've talked about, they become less and less trusting. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's across the board. Uh, so that's not just less and less trusting of people they're running into when they're in a uniform. They become less and less trusting of, of neighbors, of people they're seeing at the grocery store, of people they're going to church with, of, of parents of their kids' friends. And it's just across the board that mm -hmm. their trust capacity is minimized. Um, and so we may have to make sure that the resources that we're offering are ones that they would realistically use. And so specifically in Edmond, uh, a year and a half ago, we contracted with a licensed professional counselor uh, who has 20 years of experience in assisting uh, the children of cops who have died in the line of duty. And mm -hmm. so all of her uh, coursework and then really her professional work is focused on that kind of segment. And so she has instant credibility yeah. uh, with, with the people inside of our building. And so she spent several months just building relationships and being accessible. Um, fortunately, we've had a chaplaincy program in our department for over a decade. And so we already kind of had a baseline of, I would say, external uh, professional service providers being in the building and offering services. So when we added that additional layer of a licensed uh, professional counselor, uh, I think people just saw that as an extension of services that are being provided. Uh, but she's a was able to build relationships. Uh, so on July 19th of 2022, when Edmund suffered its first line of duty death, when Sergeant C.J. Nelson uh, was tragically ran over and killed uh, while riding his motorcycle on duty, uh, having that service in place uh, was just has been so beneficial for us. Uh, and so for the last year, mm -hmm. uh, she's basically worked full time uh, for our for our department. 
And I can't imagine gaps that there would have been in, in providing service to our members if we, as a department, had not taken that step prior to that incident. Yeah. Yeah. I actually read about that one and I heard about it on the news too. That was pretty tragic. It's terribly tragic. Yeah. How do you personally handle negativity and also how do you personally handle tragedy such as that? Yeah. <laughs> well, negativity's tough. I don't know anyone that wakes up uh, at the start of the day and says, I'm going to go out and make some people mad today. Or <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go out and I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm just going to do what's in my best interest. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, there probably are people that just wake up and go do what's in their best interest, but I don't think they're longing to, to be criticized. Uh, but that's just reality. Um, you know, ever since two humans got together, one of them told the other, I don't like what you're doing. Uh, and so we just have to kind of work, work through that. One of the many quotes that I like is from a retired Marine Corps general. His name is George Flynn. And he says that the price of leadership is self-interest. Mm. You could go pretty deep on that if you wanted to, but but really to me that just means, hey, right off the bat, you, you have to understand if you're going to accept a formal position of leadership within any organization, uh, and police work's no different than being a general contractor or uh, you know running a mowing service, but if you're going to be the formal leader, you have to understand there's people that are going to criticize your decisions. You need to be prepared to deal with that. I hope, I'm not saying I'm always successful, but I hope that that I listen to that to a degree, because if you, if you don't accept that there's valid criticism out there, that's probably going to be your first step to failure. Um, but, you know, do with it what you can and then move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you create a culture? I talk a lot about culture in our organization. And, and again, you know, like we were talking about uh, defunding the police. Mm. And you say that, and then we don't expound on what you mean by that and then mm-hmm. i start acting on it because i think it means one thing mm-hmm. and and again we just start separating further and further apart and so when people talk about culture uh, i've always liked the adage that culture means how we do things around here and so i want to tell people that's what we're talking about when i say culture it's how we do things around here and then once we have that common uh, situational understanding of what we're talking about then we can get into that um, and so we like to focus on i think the things that other businesses like to focus on, and that's mission, vision, and values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell people, hey, we work with 170-plus people in my department, 850 people in my city, and we serve 100,000 people. And so I hope we have friends in there that, that we can go share a, a cola with or uh, you know, have a heart-to-heart talk about something. But at the end of the day, our businesses – wasn't created so we can have friends. Mm-hmm. It was created so we can pursue a mission, right. um, and to do that in a in a way that we can all support each other. We have to have espoused values, and, and then I hope we have a vision. What does it look like if we're successful? And so in Edmond, uh, there's a little bit longer version, but our short version of the mission is just trustworthy service. We're a public service entity. Um, and we're large of a, we're part of a larger public service entity, yeah. uh, that being the city. And so I want people to understand we are servants. Um, so I hope that's our culture that we understand we come to serve. Yeah. Um, the second part is is we have a list of espoused values. It's not an exhaustive list, uh, but we tell people we're about partnerships, accountability, respect, teamwork, and integrity. Uh, again, that's not an exhaustive list, but if we'll focus on those five and kind of use those to gauge our behavior. Uh, I think we'll be in a pretty good place. Yeah. Um, you know, and then our last one, our vision is pretty simple. It's it's not a it's not a vision about the police department. It's a vision about the city. 
And we hope it's the safest environment to work, live, and visit. Simple as that. Uh, And we know we're just a part of that. Um, And so, again, mission, vision, and values, I think, is how we focus on building our culture. Um, Telling people there's no perfect people that work in our building. Uh, We're going to make mistakes. Uh, and while we don't condone them, we understand it as, as fallible humans that are going to happen. Yeah. And it's really how we're going to respond to that. Uh, we talk about the difference between mistakes and misconduct. Uh, you know, mistakes are part of our humanity, and, and we can learn through them. Misconduct's a little bit different situation. That's, that tends to be intentional uh, or negligent. And in that case, we, we, learning may be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, we try to do it in a way uh, that you're not branded uh, for what your experience was um, and and that you're able to take that and be better because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in some cultures and organizations, uh, we, we will use mistakes uh, uh, as an abasement tool. We're going we're gonna to degrade you. Uh, we, we can't do that. That's, that doesn't make for a successful long-term member of the organization. Uh, we have to create an environment where they can learn, yeah. uh, where we can all learn. Yeah. I just talk for myself. I make mistakes all the time. Sure. Uh, so, but hopefully I'm given that opportunity to learn from them and then apply that knowledge uh, in a way that's going to benefit my community in the future. Yeah. When was the last time you had a cola with uh, Chief Gibson? <laughs> we, we actually meet monthly. Do you? Uh, at okay. a minimum. We have a men's group. Uh, and just have to be men because that's the, the group. It wasn't yeah, – it's, sure. it's not a – it doesn't exclude females. It just <laughs> it just happened to be that that we had a group of right. of friends in a similar profession. Um, we all happen to be Christians, and so we get together once a month uh, just to share life. Okay. Uh, fortunately, uh, we all have a tie to the same profession, so we're able to kind of learn off of each other. That's awesome. Uh, it, again, it, you hear about uh, you are a reflection of the five people you hang around mm, with the most. Yeah. Uh, I buy into that. Yeah. And so I try to be intentional, uh, with hanging out with people that and spending time with people that can improve me, mm-hmm. uh, that are better than me, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and he's one of those that I would consider the five that I think is better than me. And so I want to be around him. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to set up a meeting with you, me and chief Gibson. We're going to have barbecue. Good. Me. Good. I'd love to have that. No, excellent. With y'all. That'd be great. What are a couple questions you wish people would ask you, but no one ever asked? You know, my position, uh, I spend a lot of time meeting with members of the community, uh, meeting with members of my own department. And, and so we talk about a lot of things. I'm trying to think things that people don't ask. You know, in, in light of the, the recent difficulties in, in attracting people into my profession, mm. uh, I, maybe people should ask me more about what does it take to be a police officer or, or how can we help in recruiting? Uh, I, I think those conversations are always are always good, especially in today's times where I, I hope it's become more evident that there is no stereotypical police officer. Right. You don't have to be six foot three and 200 pounds. <laughs> you, don't, uh, you don't have to have a, a military background. Uh, and so I think just that realization that, that the profession and the expectations have changed. Yeah. And so maybe it's professionally it's about that. That's a good question. What, what should people ask me? I liked what you started off with. How can you be so optimistic mm-hmm. uh, in today's time? And the reason I would like that question is, is hopefully that gives me an opportunity to kind of pour into others yeah. to let them know awesome. wh- why, you should, why you should have optimism. Yeah. Hopefully related. So 
So many years ago, I got to hear the former Oklahoma women's basketball coach, Sherry Cole, Mm. uh, talk about her philosophies on leadership. She had a philosophy that she shared, and I I may just be paraphrasing it, but I've adopted it, um, and I use it frequently. Uh, So whenever we onboard people to the organization, I talk to them about commitment. And I go, hey, there's three levels of commitment I need out of you. Uh, I'll need you to commit to personal excellence. And so that's not being as good as me or anyone else. That's just being as good as you can be. I'll need you to commit to your teammates. And by saying that, I'm not talking about blind loyalty. I'm talking about because they're committed to the mission, vision, and values. If you will be committed to the mission, vision, and values, then you're committed to each other. Mm. And then last, I need you to commit to a cause outside yourself. And in, and in Edmond, it's about our community. And so I need you to commit to doing that. And I think those are three pretty fundamental things if you look through leadership that people ask others to do in an organization. But where Sherry Cole, uh, to me, added a layer to my understanding is she said, hey, there's a fourth element in that, and it's that leaders keep hope alive. Mm. And so your job as a leader is to continually refresh people around those three commitments they've made and give them reason to believe that what they're pursuing in that mission, vision, and values is actually obtainable. And so, again, back to me. So if you ask me about why I'm optimistic or why should I be optimistic, to me, that's the opening that I need to, te- to, to give you hope, mm. hopefully. Um, and, and whether you're the, the, the clerk ringing up my candy bar and soda that I'm buying from you or, or, or you're a coworker of mine, that's my little window of opportunity to let you know you're doing well yeah. uh, and what you're doing matters. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you ever met? coach sherry cole yes you have yeah wow how yeah. was it just because you enjoy her and you use some of her speech yeah she, she's she's exactly what you think she would be she's highly energetic highly engaging at least my experience with mm-hmm. her was uh i didn't find any pretense uh which you know sometimes when in people when people are in important positions mm. uh and let me be clear i didn't say when they're important people right, right. when they're in important positions sure. Uh, I think sometimes there can be an air of pretense, mm. um, and, and I did not sense that from her at all. You know, she's a highly accomplished individual yeah. from the time she was a, a player in high school mm-hmm. through her coaching career, yeah. highly accomplished. Uh, but I found her to be willing to share her experiences. Um, again, we talked about making mistakes. I didn't. My sense was that she liked to share. Of hey, I wasn't always successful in these areas, uh, and here's what I did when I was successful. So. Again, I don't know her personally, yeah. uh, but in the opportunities I got to spend time with her, I really appreciated her openness and willing to share her experiences. Yeah, wow. Be, how, is she, she's pretty tall, isn't she? She's not as tall as you'd think. When you really? think basketball, you think, oh, that's a six-foot-tall person. Yeah. She's not. Uh, she's not? Of course, okay. she played point guard, so yeah, yeah. she didn't have to be. Okay. We talked about food. What's your favorite type of food? It, it, well, my wife will tell you I'm the most bland eater uh, that you've <laughs> ever met in your life, so very meat and potatoes but, but my go-to is always a club sandwich, uh, it, as boring as that would be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not the extravagant eater. Uh, favorite music? Yeah, it's not bland. Uh, favorite music? Bland. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm probably a stereotypical Oklahoman or, or uh, uh, Westerner in that, in that sense. Uh, my man. But I, I will say, uh, as a child of the 70s and 80s, uh, my presets on my radio, on my Sirius XM, are uh, 56 The Highway, which is a country station. Yep. Uh, but then 70s, 80s, and 90s, 
and and you might find some uh, some XL forty two to forty four in there with rap, uh, some eighties nineties rap. So I I'm a connoisseur of music. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the late eighties nineties rap, and yeah. I'm a big seventies on seven, eighties on eight, nineties on nine, right? Begun XM. So yeah, I feel you. I feel you. What what does it take to be a police officer in Edmond? One, I mean, I've probably said this several times, but <laughs> you truly have to want to serve. Um, and, and what I mean by that is we proclaim that we're a community or in a policing agency. Um, and when you get into the definitional stuff, really what that just means is we believe in partnerships and problem solving. Mm. It's, it's just that simple. And so the first part of partnership is relationship. And so if you don't want to have relationships with people, then we're probably not going to be an agency that you're going to feel the most satisfied at. Uh, and, and that's okay. You know, different communities have different expectations. Uh, but our community expects genuine relationship with their public servants. Um, and, and so if that's something you would enjoy, uh, knowing others, having others know you as an individual, uh, and then being able to use those relationships to form partnerships mm-hmm. uh, around common areas of interest uh, to improve the community, we, we might be the place for you. Now, there's some that's just not some communities. That's not the way they police. Yeah, and, and we can debate long and hard about whether that's good or that's bad, uh, but it just is. Yeah. Um, so we we try to share that with people. Um, you know, I I get the opportunity because of our size. You know, we're not incredibly large. We're not two thousand people. Uh, I get to personally interview every single person we hire, whether sworn or civilian. And we're about 25% civilian, 75% sworn, our officers. Mm-hmm. And so I get the opportunity to interview every single one of those people. And, and I will frequently touch on, uh, hey, these are some expectations. And I'll try to ask them, what are your expectations? Because I'll share with them what I, what I really don't want is six months into the relationship, they're thinking, what have I done? Mm-hmm. You know, I've signed on to something that doesn't line up with my personal value system uh, or I'm not willing to meet those expectations. And I don't want the organization or the community thinking, what have you done hiring this person? Yeah. They don't want to interact with the people. They don't want to form relationships or partnerships. And so we, what I tell them is, hey, let's, let's go into this with eyes wide open yeah. uh, because I want work to be a place where you can be satisfied. I, I want you to be able to leave the doors and go, man, I've made a contribution today. I've helped move the ball forward. Um, and if, if you can't feel that here, then there's no shame in that. Yeah. Uh, the shame is is tricking ourselves into thinking that we are contributing when we're really not. Yeah, well, that's good. What advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> you know, I, t- I talked to you about before uh, that I didn't really have an idea that this was a career field for me. Uh, and I got into it when I was 24, and I tell people frequently uh, – I probably wasn't mature enough at 24 to do it. I dang sure wasn't mature enough at 23, 22, 21. So, so I, again, God afforded me uh, an environment where I could learn uh, during my early, early adulthood, uh, thankfully without YouTube and, mm. and Twitter and all that. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, w- I will just tell people, um, life is a journey, and it's about learning. Uh, d- don't be afraid to try those things. Don't be afraid to have your mind open uh, to opportunities that suit what your passions are. Um, You know, I, I talk to my kids now about their futures. You know, I have three children. I have 22, 19 and 16. Um, 
And I guess I'd tell them what I would tell myself at 18. Don't worry about dollars. Worry about where you think you can make a contribution to society mm. that, that, that'll help you get up in the morning. When you get up in the morning, how do you want to contribute to the team? Mm-hmm. And, and chase something in that area. And, and everything else will work their way out. Uh, now, again, I also tell them they're fortunate, way more fortunate than most people in the world. Sure. Uh, that they are in a situation where they have a supporting family, uh, that they have the luxury to chase passion. Not everybody has that, yeah. and I get it. Uh, but hopefully I'd go back to, to my 18-year-old self who had a, also a very supporting family and just say, take a breath, figure out how you think you can make the best contribution. But again, I, I wouldn't change one single thing in my life. I've, I've been afforded great opportunities. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed yeah. the people that I've gotten to know, the experiences I've, I've gotten to have, and uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing in my life. That's great. What three words would you use to describe your wife? <laughs> supportive. Yeah, really supportive. Um, you know, the, the profession that I'm in, is it's highly demanding in general. Uh, the position I'm in, the way I choose to, to serve, uh, I open myself up to, to a lot of opportunities, which means my schedule's all over the place. I really can't tell you less than a handful of times she's ever said one single thing about the way I schedule something, whether that's 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning or <laughs> 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening. She just She's very supportive of it. Yeah. Uh, so supportive would be my first word. Uh, she's a Christian, um, and, and so that's allowed us, I think, to have a relationship that I never, as a young person, I don't think that I could imagine having that. And, and so that, that's afforded us really an opportunity to bond together as one. Um, and so that, that's, been, that's been a real blessing as well. Uh, and I would use the word opposite. She's opposite mm-hmm. of me. Uh, so she, she, she's fine with not having any uh, being exposed to other uh, people as far as in meetings and things like that. And uh, she's supportive of community events, but she doesn't feel the need to, to be on the, the stage up front. Uh, and, and so opposite. I, I would say that, that uh, we are opposites in, in certain ways that are they're good, make us compatible. Yeah. Uh, I think they make, they make the whole. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. What are you most proud of? I mean, obviously, my first thought is my family. But when I say that, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say that because it gives the impression that we've done something or that we're, that we're different than anybody else's family. And so I guess my pride just comes from my satisfaction in having it. My dad's one of seven, and, so, and they were all born within 10 years. And, and each of those had at least two kids. So I grew up with a ton of cousins. I think I took it for granted a lot uh, that I had this family around and we got to share all these experiences. I've uh, been look, looking back, I go, that's the most satisfying part of my childhood and early adulthood was I had all this family around. Uh, and so now I have my own family, you know, with wife and three children that, that are pursuing their, their own passions and, and, and finding their own way in the world uh, to the stages that they are. Um, and that's just really enjoyable to me. And to be able to see, again, the blessings that God has put in my life um, and then allowing me to live vicariously through them at this stage of their life. Um, My parents are both still alive and very much healthy. So I just my greatest blessing and pride comes from just just my family. And and again, if I I tell people all the time, if you're into genealogy and you and you take the little test and run it, 
there's there's nobody in my family that they're writing books about or anything else. We're just normal everyday people. Yeah. And I find pride in that too. Yeah. That we're just we're just part of the team. Yeah. Uh, I think it, we live in a time in human evolution that that it seems like everybody wants to strive to be to be the standout, to be the hey look at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want my name on something. I, I want to be the head of something or the lead of something. And I'm not saying those aspirations are bad, uh, but I hope at the end of the day, the contribution is I helped move it forward. I hope when it's all tallied up, I gave at least a little bit more than I took. Yeah. Don't know if that'll be the case. Yeah. Uh, but again, my pride comes from from being associated with family members. I think pretty much that's what they do. They yeah. they try to give more than they take, and and I think the world will be better for it. Got any good book recommendations? Well, my most recent book that I've been reading, and it's not a new one, is Extreme Ownership. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good one. I just recently uh, opened back up. I ordered a 25th anniversary edition of uh, Daniel Goldman's Emotional Intelligence. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and it's been a while since I went over it, but I'm a big EI fan. Because, mm. uh, again, back back to managing yourself, managing sure. your emotions. Uh, I, I would probably say it, you don't even have to go with Goldman, but I think he's he's the gold standard. Uh, but for those not, not familiar with emotional intelligence, especially those that – that pick other formal leaders in the organization. Um, if you go back and read any of the research on EI and and how the studies show that that plays out in success within teams, mm-hmm. uh, I think that, that they would find a lot of value in it. Yeah. Wow. How do you want to be remembered? Again, hopefully the first thing is that, that I was a Christian man. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean I'm <laughs> perfect. Or I don't right. make mistakes. I make them all day long. I hope. Hopefully that means... The mistakes I make, I'm I'm sorry for, and and I make them trying to do what I thought was the right thing, uh, given the circumstances, and and I'm still a work in progress. So so hopefully, you know, at the end of it, they'll say he never stopped trying to to be a better human, yeah. uh, understanding that he wasn't wasn't perfect. And depending on what stage of life you went and interviewed someone about me, I, I would hope as as I get older, the interviews will be better. Yeah, you know that you'd say, oh well. He, he was better at it at this stage and better at that stage. So I'm 53 now. I'd love to be 153. Not really. Uh, <laughs> but as time goes on, I hope, I hope I can say and I hope people will say about me, no, he, he truly was committed to trying to be better. Yeah, that's great. Well, Chief, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service to your great community, our state. And I know my in-laws adore the heck out of the police department in Evans. So. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate the time with you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. For more Defining Moments podcast content, visit our webpage, www.undefeated.show. Follow us at Def Moments Pod on Twitter and at Defining Moments Podcast on Instagram. Chief is slightly nervous. I'm nervous. You're <laughs> never nervous, Kyle. I'm over here. Okay, here we go.